0: We are The Existentialists Four existential psychotherapists invite you to join us in a dialogue about what it means to live an existentially tuned life
1: Your hosts are
0: Xavier Williams, therapist in Vancouver, Canada
1: Janelle Drizner, therapist in Edmonton, Canada
2: Chelsea Stanner, therapist in South Surrey, Canada
1: and Michail Alounano, therapist in Vancouver, Canada
0: Hello Existentialist Podcast listeners and welcome back after almost two months maybe six weeks, two months um, of a bit of a break Um, we welcome you to season two um, as you may remember from our last podcast, we are down a member uh, this season. Janelle um, left us, and left is probably the wrong word, but she's taking a bit, a bit of a break. Uh, still involved in in some ways and and will certainly give her comments. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, so now there's just the three of us, myself, Xavier, uh, Mahila, and Chelsea, who you'll hear from in a second. And uh, this uh, season we're going to, change it up slightly in that we we've themed the season. Um, and the theme that we that, that we've got for season two is encounters. Uh, and this would be how, uh, encountering various aspects of life. For example, today, the topic's going to be about encountering love, kind of in anticipation of um, Valentine's Day, which albeit a kind of invented commercialized kind of holiday. Uh, still nonetheless uh, triggers sentiments of love, um, or indeed maybe triggers sentiments of what we might think as love, but really aren't. And um, so we thought it prudent to to, to discuss that. Um, but before we do that, we, we're going to introduce you a little bit to the idea of encounters and what we mean by encountering. Um, there's you know, particularly uh, in existential theory and uh, existential analysis that we're all um, trained in has Particularly specific meanings, and so we'll give you a bit of a uh, an intro to that, and then we'll move on to on to love, and we'll try and limit our um, references to '80s love songs as we go along.
1: <laughs>
0: so, um, yeah, what what should we tell our listeners about encounters?
1: Yeah, thank you, Saab. That was a great intro to our new season and a very exciting topic. Encounter, and usually, in uh, um, as far as I know, in the um, the most common language, encounter means usually something like more brief, like uh, passing, like casual, but which is very different from how we understand the personal encounter in existential analysis. So even there, like to just to make that distinction.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so it's not brief encounters of a third of a third kind.
1: Yeah, thank you for <laughs> bringing that language. Not exactly. Not exactly. But uh, I think we use uh, the word encounter to describe rather, again, brief, casual meetings. But also like in uh, uh, psychology, psychotherapy, I mean, probably listeners who have a background in, in this area know about the encounter groups that uh, happen, like, um, like inspired by the client-centered psychotherapeutic approach, Roger's. And uh, in um, existentialism, in existential analysis, we are talking about personal encounter, which is definitely um, not a brief, casual um, encounter, but rather um, a way to see the essence of the other, to um, encounter the person of the other, rather than kind of superficial characteristics or... um, behaviors but rather like seeing um, who that person is and taking the time for that and yeah so it's a it's a bit different than in how we how we use the word encounter in maybe everyday life.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to pick up on that that word essence because it's Mm -hmm. you know it 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 probably means many things to many people Mm -hmm. but we, in previous sessions, uh, previous sessions, previous um, episodes, we've talked, we've uh, mentioned the idea of transference and counter-transference and, and then and projections, you know, more psychodynamic things. But one of the, uh, the things that I think really speaks to what an encounter is and how we mean it is when we might be able to interact with somebody not in that transference or, or projection kind of way. So if I've, if I... Um, uh, meet somebody and 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 I'm projecting onto them these this kind of ideal of of who I think they are. Then I'm not really encountering them, um, and they are definitely not encountering me. Uh, that th- this is kind of really what we're going towards in in talking about essence. Like how how could we, how do we, when do we really meet the other person, and when do they meet us?
1: And how, how when do we meet, uh, or how do we meet the other person, for who they truly are not through the lens of our own presuppositions or as you said projections and of course since we are moving into the direction of encountering love we'll probably come back to this theme that falling in love is uh, oftentimes <laughs> you know um, lots of projections involved there mm-hmm. uh, before the encounter or never <laughs> the encounter never happens and then people fall out of love because uh, perhaps there was not really a connection in between two individuals, who, two persons who knew each other, but more um, an encounter of our own projections, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's something to be said then for authenticity within count, an encounter to really, really experience something or someone as it is or as they are with ourselves as we are.
1: Yeah, I would say that's very important. I think um, in one episode, Sav, you said it. The more I am me, the more you can be you, or and vice versa. I don't know. <laughs> you said it much better. Yeah,
0: no, no, that's that's exactly what I said. Yeah, the, the, the more you are you, and the more I am me, the the more we get to meet each other.
1: Exactly, and that and I think that's that that summarizes, or actually not summarizes, captures really nicely what uh, we mean by personal encounter like the capacity to be myself in your presence and your capacity to be yourself in my presence and uh, uh, enjoying um, kind of seeing each other and uh, seeing the value in each other and uh, connecting in a in an authentic way
0: because it's a, it's a bit of a uh a dif- difficult uh, topic to kind of really grasp and and kind of get our heads around one of the ways that i am um, often talk about this in a slightly unrela- slightly different but related way with clients is in terms of allowing yourself to be you and allowing them to be them is um, I, I really talk about bubbles um, and so if you all kind of sit and imagine the personal space that you have you know it's uh, great or smaller depending on, on where you live and cultures you grow up in but just imagine around you you have this kind of zone of comfort this bubble and within that bubble you can be yourself you don't feel threatened. You don't feel pushed a direction. You don't feel pulled in a, ne- a direction necessarily. When you are able to be in in that bubble, and the person w- that you're hopefully going to encounter is as well, the edges where your bubbles touch each other is really where the encounter happens, mm-hmm. right? If I um, if I come too close to you, uh, literally or kind of uh, emotionally or then I'm actually taking up space from you and forcing you almost into a retreat sometimes or into kind of uh, an aggression towards me and and then I'm not really encountering you. I'm I'm not allowing you the space to be you. Um, and I'm definitely taking up much more space than I than I need.
1: Yeah, that's so correct, like um, we need our boundaries in order to encounter each other and we need our differences and being aware of each other's differences. At the same time, during the encounter, as you said, of course, it starts with respecting each other and seeing each other, but there is also something more that happens as we really see each other and uh, encounter each other, right? So and there is also coming together, mm-hmm. uh, the space in between us or something <laughs> kind of a third kind of entity, so to speak, the the relationship, the the connection that grows out of that. So it's a, more like a generative field there that uh, brings up that quality of togetherness. Yeah. It's like um like a
2: co-creation of something that comes into being because the two things or two people have shown up together.
1: Yeah, I, I like how you said that, co-creation. And uh, encounter is creative. In itself, like it's uh, meant to bring out that um, experience that um, none of the two can create by themselves. But it starts, I think, with what Sav said that um, it's important to see the boundaries and to respect, and not respect in the sense of, uh, of obedience, but simply merely to honor the, the boundaries, the dignity of the other, the space, and to see each other before that um, co creation. Happens, so so there is both like a a, dif- a differentiation and something that kind of unites and brings together, which is I think very, uh, very specific to personal encounter versus like the more casual encounter, when we can still remain ourselves and have I don't know, fun or join you know, together in an activity for a while, but then nothing really changes in between us.
0: Right. So so we're, we're talking about uh, maybe. A more depth in the in the encounter, a lot you know, more meaning, more profound. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure that. Uh, <coughs> sorry, as I'm, I know as I'm talking here and listening to, to the two views talk, I, I'm imagining scenarios in which I've found myself with various people and and asking myself, was that the kind of encounter we're talking about? And I'm, I'm hoping listeners are doing the same. Um, uh, where 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 might we? I don't know where are the most obvious places where we might have encounters
1: Mm -hmm. yeah thank you for bringing it more down to earth yeah because I think uh, as you were talking about of course with people I mean even in in therapy like with uh, clients there are uh, moments like moments of I don't know moments of grace moments of uh, very special moments when uh, there is a Transcending of uh, those boundaries, the bubbles that you described, so, and there is uh, kind of stepping into an in-between space when something happens and both uh, partners in that exchange uh, uh, change. Or there is something, uh, a moment of, um, I- of change that usually for me in my experience is usually in the moment of encounter when we transcend those bubbles and we come together into that space that is more than each of us, and in that space, something more is possible. And usually, for for the client, that means, um, yeah, a uh, more room, more space opens up for um, for a change, for exploring something different.
0: Yeah, certainly. It, I'm not. I'm not sure I can always describe kind of or transliterate those those experiences but i know what you talk of and 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 y- you feel it like you you feel it and and there's a kind of a, a knowing a recognition in in yourself and and with your client and and some degree of communication yeah i, I imagine chelsea knows that too
2: <laughs> Hmm. yeah i'm actually as we've been talking i've just been uh, going through my mind like different moments with clients where that has occurred and where yeah it brings up this um the sense like Mahila, you were talking about this field of generativity there's something that's emerging from it that's greater than the two by themselves um it's and then also like Zab what you were saying because I was thinking like how am I going to describe this experience um in words and um I don't know words kind of lacked lack um something here and I guess that's the transcendent piece of it is it um it's a bit hard to explain but like one uh one moment with a client kind of stands out to me um he was feeling very, very alone in the world um, so much so that it was day to day. It was very, very hard to exist and um, very few uh, social structures around him. And I just remember this very like poignant moment in therapy where um, he was just so downcast and looking down and, um, he was telling me about this experience that he decided to go to the hospital to get some help um, with how he was feeling, and he, at that point, like lifted his head, and our eyes met, and he just said, "He's like, I went there because I just wanted somebody to look me in the eyes so that I knew I existed," hmm. and, um, and I think. That was very, very powerful um, moment for me to experience with him. It was just like this very, very human moment. And I think um, I think there's something about encounter that reminds us that we are, at least for me, speaks some kind of truth around, yes, you know, we are separate, but we're also together. Um, and maybe it's that co-creation or that shared humanity or, um, truly being able to experience the other. Um, but I, yeah, I, I have these little like still frames or snapshots in my mind of different moments, um, of being with people in my life, um, or with myself or with clients, um, that have had that kind of like encounter essence to it and um yeah the words just lack sometimes for it i don't know if that's your experience as well but that's that's what i feel
0: <clears throat> yeah i mean I, I can imagine all of that chelsea and certainly i've had very similar experiences um w- would we say then that that maybe it, through encounter or in encounter we momentarily briefly or for however long Overcome what we would describe as our existential isolation, right? This idea that no matter how well I know you, and no matter how well you know me, I will never actually know what it's like to be you, right? This our set, this physical separation between our bodies, our brains, our minds. Mm-hmm. That maybe in encounter we get to, mm-hmm. to m- briefly maybe, just mm-hmm. transcend that.
2: Yes, I think yes, you very beautifully just described what I felt like I was fumbling over, but that that is what it feels like to me.
1: Yeah, and and also I'm I'm I was very moved by uh, what you shared Chelsea about your client and um, the importance of uh, being encountered, in the sense of being seen and acknowledged as a person, and uh, again in uh, existential analysis we we talk about personal encounter to distinguishing for distinguishes from you know encounters like in more in a more casual way and um, that means that um, that essence that uh, we talked about is about um, seeing someone as their own person which means that uh, we see them I- endowed with dignity that in their own dignity and value that is inherent intrinsic that it's not dependent on their life situation or others so I think that's very important too. That essence is not just you know an abstract quality, but it's also the um, the quality of um, being a person, which means um, again dignity and intrinsic value for the simple fact of being a person. So being seen as a person in um, in this uh, encounter is uh, crucial, and this is what kind of also um, takes us into that. Uh more transcendent beyond kind of ourselves a uh, mode of being because the the person is in all of us essentially oriented through relationship and through uh, stepping outside our our bubble towards the other
0: something that 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 came up for me kind of there that, that remi- reminded me of that um humans are always um capable of encounter um and there's a, a quote by um uh, a famous, a relatively famous um, uh, a psychologist called Harry Stack Sullivan, who talked to, he was talking about um, clients uh, w- with schizophrenia. And he talks about, he says something to the effect of even in the midst of psychosis, the, essentially in, in EA words, we would use, say, the person can still be encountered. Um, I think he, he says actually that there's no developmental period when the human exists outside of the realm of interpersonal related- relatedness. Um and I remember reading that and thinking, wow, like you know, and for that's in, in schizophrenia, but um the same I imagine could be said in with um uh kind of family members with dementia. What have you? Uh, you see that with um uh there, I think there was a Netflix uh documentary about um when uh when people with dementia are given um earphones and music from Yeah, from their the teens and twenties and how they light up and how that there's always access to this somehow somewhere on some level.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's also um, so um, such a fundamental um, understanding in existential analysis and also in logotherapy. Viktor Frankl's um, approach when that uh, the person what I just described before, right? It cannot cannot be sick. Cannot be um, destroyed, can by sickness or other afflictions, right? That is always there. Like even if um, seemingly um, people don't seem present or they they suffer from dementia, Alzheimer's, other these kind of diseases, there is um, always the that um, person who is um, who has dignity and value. It's always there, and people in in coma, like in states of vegetative. Know, vegetative states, coma and so on, like again, it's uh, uh, treating them with dignity because they are persons, because they, their value is there and they, they are still capable to receive encounter, perhaps not to respond in, in those moments, but still to be um, uh, valued and respected as persons
0: so what else what else do we have to say in, uh, kind of a, in 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 introductory terms um before we turn to 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 love the i'm sure the, the topic that really everybody wants to hear about um that maybe we know something about or maybe we don't
1: and the only i mean the only the thing that i would like to highlight again is the importance of encounter in uh, psychotherapy since so this is okay we one of our aims is to also uh, bring the existential um, view to to psychotherapy psychotherapists and i think it's um, we know that the therapeutic relationship is essential fundamental but uh, here again we we maybe deepen a bit that concept or uh, bring more uh, more depth to it like in by bringing the importance of personal encounter and those moments that jealousy uh, offered a beautiful example here and how um, how important it is to encounter our clients which means that you also Kind of put ourselves uh, forward and step uh, outside of a more neutral position and actually bring our own person to um, uh, the um, to meeting our clients in the therapy hour, and that means that we are also vulnerable. We also share impressions that may be sometimes vulnerable, but very very important for um, that co-creation. Of them in between space of encounter, and there is always something more possible uh, when when that encounter takes place in in therapy, at least in my experience. So it's not only like the from the context for change, but it's um, an essential ingredient of any change or transformation. So that's uh, that's what I wanted to also highlight at the end of this that um, encounter is um, very important in therapy as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm reminded of um of an article written by Dr. Alfred Langler, the you know the the co creator of of uh, extension analysis and um, uh, and the article is called "The Art of Involving the Person in, in Therapy." And um, it's I, I was trying to find it so that I could maybe pull a few things out, but you know that would take too long, and I don't think anybody wants to sit here in silence. And um, but um, just that, just the the idea of that title, right? The art of involving the person, and and that's not. I remember reading it and going and understanding that it was not just the art of involving the person, i.e., the client in their therapy, but certainly the therapist's person as well, right? That the two exist and the two are there to, as said, to create something to, to, uh, to find something.
1: And and um, since you brought up the article and the art of involving the person, like there is an art about it, and also there is a a process, a more systematic process about it. And we talked in a previous episode about the uh, personal existential analysis. So just briefly, it means that uh, we <laughs> we start with what you describe with what is right the, the two bubbles you said. So like, um, what is um our uh, reality? I mean each individual's reality and then we we allow ourselves to be moved and touched emotionally by uh, what the other is bringing and then we um, we try to really um, come to our own position and response towards what's going on uh, between the two of us in order to express something. So it requires, again, openness, readiness to be moved, I mean, you cannot be neutral and uh, not vulnerable and to have an encounter. It requires some openness, some vulnerability. And then it also asks us, it invites us to, to step into, into the, that in-between space and to respond and to express ourselves, not just to sit there and paraphrase. I mean, I have nothing against paraphrasing, by the way, but it's like <laughs> bringing, uh, as you said, so bringing the person of the therapist to, to that encounter. Otherwise, it's nothing, there is no encounter.
2: Maybe, maybe just in a, in a practical sense, I was wondering if, Mahila, because you referenced like impression and sharing impression, if like you could give an example of that for our listeners or what that might look like.
1: Yeah, I think we have two episodes on that already. <laughs> like on the PEA and the, the full demonstration of PEA. Like, um, but, I mean, just as a reminder, not assuming that everyone is listening every episode. So I think that's still a good um, a good question here. Like starting with trying to understand how the client experiences um, a certain situation in their lives. What are the facts of that particular situation and separating those from opinions and impressions, so I think that's very important. And then um, encouraging the client to then see to his how how does that impact them, and at the same time as a therapist, allowing ourselves to be impacted by whatever the client described and by their impressions, and then encouraging the client to take a position towards what's going on. At the same time, uh, checking with ourselves and moving um, deeply within ourselves to uh, also detect how, how are we doing with that? Where are we finding our ground what to what is our position on that? And then expressing something towards the client and encouraging the client to um, yeah, to sit with the invitation to whatever they need to do once they go through that process. Again if you want a really um, an example of that listen to the episode on the uh, PA demonstration that was all about this.
0: Yes I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember which episode it was I think it was it was remember. one of the later ones um, so in the teens. So 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 then what uh, to, to to kind of try and formulate a little segue, what is our position on encountering love?
1: The, oppo- the opposition?
0: No, our position. Our position, position
1: sorry. <laughs> the opposition, like, wow. Oh. Our personal position or uh, general position? Just kidding.
0: <laughs> uh, j- just as an FYI for listeners, it's episode 12 and 13 for the personal existential analysis, twelve being the kind of theoretical underpinnings, and then thirteen being the actual example of it. Uh, no, no positions on on on, on encountering love or.
1: Uh, well, so we need to go through the whole process before arriving at our position. So we have to start with the facts, which means like, what is love, before before we access our impressions about it and come to a position. <laughs>
0: You don't need to go to that um that uh the other podcast, you're having it right here.
2: Uh
0: so okay, so so
2: it's it's not a bad idea
1: though. Uh-huh. uh-huh. To start there.
0: So okay. So what is love?
1: Do you want do you want to say the song? Baby, Baby don't hurt me. <laughs> so we we promised we wouldn't. <laughs>
0: but it's too hard not to. Um yeah, so so I mean we're opening up a, a bit of a can of worms here, right? What is love? Um, something that that I really kind of uh, was struck by in, uh, in existential th- kind of theory um, is, is the different formulations of love that there are. At least I can remember from, say, for Rollo May, um, who was a, an existential um, psychiatrist in, in the US, he described four different types of love. Um, I've since seen other people describe them there are eleven different types of love, um, not just kind of the one that we see, the romantic love that we see on on TV most of the time. Um, uh, you know, so at least start, four is probably easier to start with than eleven, right? You know, Rolemey talks about um, eros, right, which is the kind of the the more erotic, sexual kind of love that, right, more maybe ro- more romantic love. He talks about Ophelia um, that kind of the brotherly love if you like or sisterly love or parental of the love that you have for your family for your children that kind of thing um he talks about um agape or um, i'm not sure how to pronounce it actually and that's um much more about kind of uh, the love for humanity just the, the the love for people generally um and the third one i always forget the fourth one the fourth sorry the fourth one. Well, oh, there you go i always forget and um my books are not in my bookshelf so i can't I can't go and get the, but it's something. Anybody can help me on that?
2: Did you mention Eros already? Yeah, it is
0: Eros. Uh-huh.
2: Erosphilia, uh, Agape.
0: Oh, he. I think actually he talks about yeah, and sex. I think he puts mm-hmm. sex as a as a separate category of love mm-hmm. from separate from romantic love. Yeah, um, and 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 then indeed amongst existential theorists, there's a whole range of. Of what love is, and there's a uh, a lovely book. It's it's um uh, how do uh, I want to be very nice about this because I really liked it, but it's 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 it's, uh, it's um difficult to read if you're not familiar with existential philosophy. Um, but it's called um, Existentialism and Romantic Love by a, an existential philosopher called Sky Cleary, Doctor Sky Cleary. Um, she's um in, out of New York, and the the book kind of goes through five or six. Um, existential philosophers including um, up to and including Jean-Paul Sartre and Simon, Simon de Beauvoir on how they viewed love and romantic love and um, and like with most things everybody's got a different opinion.
1: Yeah, w- which brings me to maybe like um, before um, or after going to um, definitions and categories maybe uh, what is love could uh, maybe we can anchor it in more like um, phenomenological description so to speak like more like um, describing what love is for us or for uh, other people for like offering more like of a description rather than um, categorizing it because uh, I think that's very helpful what you said Sav, that there are so many understandings which only speaks to how uh, rich and how diverse the experience is but maybe for what is love maybe we could stay with like some experiences that makes love love like the descriptions of um how we know how do we know that is love Mm.
0: yeah i mean that's a a good a a good thing i mean i suppose for me it's always a feeling right some some sort of feeling we had this discussion i can see my face and (laughs) we had a discussion earlier um but but kind of this kind of idea of being full of love like there, there, there tends to be this at least for me this not necessarily always overwhelming, but this full feeling of of of, of love of 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 being loved and or and or loving um i uh, i recognize kind of both in myself um uh but you know typically a, a fullness a um a warmth. A um a tenderness is it's usually kind of the things that that I I personally would associate with love.
1: Yes, and just to clarify, I did not uh, <laughs> contest that love <laughs> is the feeling because yeah, I, I can relate to as you are speaking about yeah the the warmth, tenderness, um, fullness, um, even <laughs> brightness, openness. Totally, that's um, that's. Feelings, also somatic sensations, and it's also um, may perhaps more than a feeling in the sense, or accompanied also by like the, um, by desire sometimes, and not just romantic or sexual, but even um, desire to to know. Uh the object of love better to be more connected to move closer to move towards and move closer there is an an attraction a liking an intimacy an intimacy a desire for personal encounter like I I really want to know that person or um, if it's nature or beauty whatever it is uh, like I want to get closer Mm. and it's also that feeling of um, kind of almost like I think transcendent self-transcendent that I'm taken outside myself into a different space, into that uh, in-between space that uh, we talked about when we talked about the encounter, and of course the behaviors, right? Like the the dedication, the time spent, you know, um, or wanted to be spent with that person or whatever it is that I love, and um, yeah, being uh, full attention, uh, being the focus of my attention and um, commitment, so that's mm-hmm. why so definitely it's felt very much felt and not just feeling but also body, <laughs> bodily felt and there are uh, there is also for me like um desire to to move closer to engage in certain actions that uh, make me taste that to 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 the fullest mm-hmm.
2: yeah i would agree with that too um I think I would just add, like, when you mentioned the somatic pieces, um, I think, and I'm not even saying this in a cheesy way, because this is actually, like, I think what I experience on the inside um, when, I, when I think about my experiences of love, but it feels like a warm bath on the inside. Um, like, there's a sense of being... Uh, held in it contained in it it's warm um there's I think there's a sense of like flow or movement to it as well um and then also like in what you were saying the, the magnetism and like drawing closer to I also sense within myself um this wanting to give of myself to it um or to um to not, yeah, to not only receive, but to offer myself, um, in that love, um, offer something from me or, um, yeah, I think, yeah, it also just, I think speaks to that, um, that transcendence and that co-creating of, of something, uh, be it, you know, a feeling, an energy, a closeness, um, it's, it's a powerful feeling. like there's a there's a feeling of, of power of vitality to it.
0: Yeah, I like that that, that power and vitality is a, yeah. a, a, an important one. I also got a, um, kind of the, an idea that, that kind of reminded of, particularly kind of when we're talking more about let's say the failure part of love the kind of a, of an acceptance and a, and a protection mm-hmm. right a, a safety, a feeling of that. I'm thinking more of a child and and a parent, right? How how love is not just a warm feeling but a safe feeling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then as I say that, I I kind of my my mind is going towards all those instances where we think we're in love but we're not actually mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Where where we're in love with somebody but we're not safe with them, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, to to you know to to go towards the the difficult and the tragic.
1: Yeah, thank you, Sal. I was thinking the same way that the. Uh, for the fullness of love to be experienced like it requires like we we talk in other episodes about four fundamental motivations right or conditions (laughs) for a fulfilled existence right so the the first one would be yes safety which means space protection support it's hard to um, feel love in the way we describe it without without that it could be very exciting not to have it sometimes, right? And to to move into the whole like mystery and secrecy, and you know there are lots of fantasy that can come with being in love or falling in love in that excitement phase. But for love to to be that uh, to take place in that in its fullness, I think it requires like um, again space to to be, and uh, for one for both partners or for <laughs> the person and the object of the love, if we don't want to stick strictly commit to <laughs> interpersonal. And also there is a, a liking, which is kind of the FM2, like a, an attraction. Something uh, spontaneously drawing me towards the other person or the object of my love. And then it's also FM3, like to be able to be myself and to enjoy the other for who they are, like, without trying to change. I mean, I'm sure you talk about this when people fall in love, you know, get married and all that and say, I'm going to change him or I'm going to change her, <laughs> right? And invariably <Yeah. laughs> it fails. Because so, But love means that it's uh, it's okay to, not only okay to let the other be the way they are, but actually I, I enjoy them the way they are. And then also there is a future and, or a kind of self-transcendent movement. Like, it's not just about what I get from it but mostly about how can I yeah, again dedicate myself to it to a common future to a shared future yeah there's
0: a, a, a possibility in it there this you know I, I, whenever particularly I'm thinking now my more in a kind of a the Valentine's kind of romantic kind of love right? <coughs> particularly young love right in your mm-hmm. teens or your know, early 20s or something there's always this kind of feeling of oh I've met yeah was it i uh, what's the phrase um i've met the love of my life right so there there is there's that forever kind of thing um uh, is something i uh, you know um I would uh, counsel against <laughs> kind of b- yeah. believing too but, far too quickly, yeah. but, but, um,
1: but actually I think it's also beautiful. Yeah. It's naive, but there is something beautiful in that uh, innocence. in <laughs> it's like believing that this person is the love of my life when I'm 14 or 15. Right. And there is that sense of eternity. So I think there is something quite beautiful there. Like, uh, you know, we are, we can um, sense something transcendent. Of course, if we look as adults, jaded adults, it is like yeah, well, they don't know what they're talking about. But I guess there is that vibrancy and possibility and complete mm. freedom. Oh,
0: oh, 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 indeed, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of my loves or heartbreaks when I was you know in my teens and early twenties. Like you know, even the ones that didn't work, well, all of them that didn't work, obviously, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but um, th- th- they were. Wonderful in in and even looking back on them, even when they were maybe not as great as I thought they were, but the experience of them that um, it is, and and I think that's probably what happens to most of us, all of us, when we initially fall in love with somebody, right? We're in that kind of blissful romantic state where well, maybe all is possible, or and and all of my imaginings and my longings, and suddenly somebody sees me and. It is this, this relatively wonderful, wonderful space, but it, it, it's it's also the space in which um, now I bring up one of my favourite um, uh, pieces of writing on this, um, and actually the the first bit of existential uh, writing on existential therapy that that I ever read, and and that got me into that really made me want to do this, and it's by a, a guy called uh, Doctor Yalem, a famous existential psychiatrist, and it's called Love's Executioner. <laughs> Um, and it, it talks about love and about, and I think his opening line is something like, um, uh, I, I hate, cl- I, I hate clients with, uh, who are in love. Uh, and he said, not because, you know, he doesn't want them to be in love, but he says, um, uh, love, uh, often gets, often kind of, um, uh, sweeps us up in the kind of this aura, this mystique of, of, um, uh, of this imaginary world, of this wonderful blissful world, in kind of rose-tinted glasses, he says, and the job of a psychotherapist is to, um, is to pull back the curtain and see reality. And people who are in love uh, very often do not want to see reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, well, do we really believe that the job of an existential psychotherapist is always to pull pull up the curtains to see the reality? Could it not be? To cultivate that imagination and that capacity to transcend oneself and the desire, so I'm, I'm just asking that really as a question. I, I question. <laughs> I,
0: I I personally would say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe not immediately. Maybe this and, you know, but uh, imagination needs to be based in mm-hmm. reality.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, it's delusion, really.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe <laughs> maybe, yeah, but like i i'm I'm not debating that we shouldn't stay in that we shouldn't stay in reality. I'm just saying that sometimes it's um like um giving ourselves to a feeling of love to go based on it's it's valuable in itself, i mean it's all even in i uh, with our clients, like when erotic transference counter transference romantic transference uh, they're quite common places in therapy, right, and of course, we would never say to a client who says that they are in love with us. Oh, you are delusional or you should there is nothing there, but actually, we will work with that because there is that uh, that potential that they sense, that possibility that speaks, of course about their own soul and desires and all that.
0: oh, 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 oh indeed, I, I don't think he was being quite as brutal. I mean you, you gotta I, I didn't do a good job of explaining it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't think it's quite as brutal.
1: But but sometimes is sometimes it's also important to also to distinguish our clients distinguish what is uh, <laughs> kind of when, when there is a client who suffers enormously at the hands of another person who is treating them really badly, but they cannot see that they are not respected and their boundaries are constantly violating and there are none of those characteristics that you mentioned and they keep saying, But I'm in love with him or her or them. Right, so I guess it's also important as therapists to help them, you know, not to tell them, hey, no, actually, this is not what you think it is, but to, to be with them um, and help them see perhaps things that they cannot see or they don't want to see. So I think both.
2: I guess, yeah, I think just to expand on it a little bit beyond a feeling, I think, you know, love is very devotional. Um, Which speaks to there being, you know, choice in it as well, or a sense of um, commitment in it, in that it's not always a feeling. Um, Because I think like a lot of our, you know, initial experiences of love can be these like peak emotions and peak experiences, Um, and yet there's, you know there's the devotional aspect of, you know, you look at say a a couple that's been together for 60 years. Um, yeah, there's, there's a, there's a different kind of, um, a different kind of feeling to that, I guess, A, a settling of those peak experiences into also something deeper that has, that is built on kind of, Action upon action and choice upon choice. Um, so I think, you know, I guess my my position on love is that it is it's a, a feeling and it's also a decision.
0: Yeah, that's a very good reminder, Chelsea. That uh, and and you know, to map onto what Mahalo was saying earlier about the the four fundamental motivation, right? And this is in that third one that I, I, I choose essentially I choose you. All right, and 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 and, and, pres- and you know, in your example of the people who've been married for sixty years, right? Yeah, you know, pres- am I do I choose you, do I keep choosing you every time?
1: And I think that I fully agree with that. And at the same time if it's just choice without feeling. So I think we have to for myself to be careful about not to say that just choosing because I chose you once and now I'm stuck with you. No, I oh, better indeed. choose you 'cause I am I need to dedicate myself because I made commitments and all of that. So I think I'm a bit scared of that kind of dry choice, like without a feeling. So I'm fully for like deepening the feeling or even not feeling so intensely. And yet there is a, a depth of feeling there together with the choice. Otherwise, I think it's duty. Yeah,
2: I think that's why, because the feeling alone isn't enough and the choice and the duty alone isn't enough. And so that's why I think I came to that word devotion. Um, because it seems to bring both of those things together.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that, like the way you put that and kind of almost defined a devotion in that.
1: So, so, So here's the question. Does it mean you spoke about Valentine's Day and younger people really fully wanting to fully enjoy a very awkward, weird Valentine's Day right in the midst of this pandemic? But anyways, does it mean that unless you are Devotion, not devotional, devoted. Sorry, and dedicated. And we have this uh, maturity bringing choice and feeling together. We cannot enjoy romantic feelings. That there is nothing selfish in love. There is nothing for me. I don't get anything from it. It's all about dedicating and devoting.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. No. No. (laughs) And and I would I would I would suggest that that it's almost we almost need to. Go through that experience of of experiencing romance, of experiencing, you know, the, the the early developments of of what might be love. We need essentially, I think, to experience feeling love, but also then through those experiences, learning what love is and what love is for us. Right? We started off the episode by asking how we, mm-hmm. ex- what it feels like for each of us, and that's going to vary between people, um, probably vary between cultures, between um errors I- indeed um no i would i'm 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 uh, even though i sound a rather um uh, cynical in in love i'm i'm actually a romantic like it's not i'm i i have both um but uh, i i'm i'm i fully and and i fully um encourage particularly younger people to to take the risk take the chance mm-hmm. to to experience love even if it's that, uh you know a naive kind of um, romantic love even if it's an idealistic love mm-hmm. um there's a there's a wonderful book probably my my favorite novel of all time by a spanish author called carlos ruiz zafon mm-hmm. uh, it's called um no Matilda. it's called um uh, Marina,
1: <laughs>
0: and and it really is. A, it, it's a little bit of a coming of age story, but it's it's very much love is 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 at the core of it, mm-hmm. um, and it's the most beautiful, beautiful thing. And and any any younger uh, listener, anybody kind of who's who's in the midst of 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 developing a romantic attraction, or maybe he's been hurt by one even mm-hmm. to. I would highly recommend it. It's it's a, a wonderful thing.
1: I I agree in that falling in love. We are kind of, when we are taken away from ourselves and our little bubble, right? And transcend that. And even in that falling, there is something profound, like developmentally for sure, right? And we find so much uh, of ourselves <laughs> in, in that falling. And we come closer to the other person, but also through the other person to ourselves so it's profound so mm. i would say yeah especially with young people to yeah give themselves to to that experience and then yeah uh, what to do is the hurts you mentioned something very important i think that will feature quite highly during this valentine season right what to do is the song that you just uh, i mean you didn't sing it but you mentioned it <laughs> what <laughs> is love baby don't hurt, hurt me. me so uh-huh. definitely lots of hurt and wounds associated with love so what about that can we can we fall in love and not be hurt how can we do that
2: i don't know if this is an answer to that question but it reminds me of um, a poem by mary oliver Um, she wrote to live in this world you must be able to do three things to love what is mortal to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes to let it go, to let it go.
1: That, that, that sounds great. That, that sounds great, Chelsea. How do we do that? (laughs) Did Did she also say, how are you supposed to do that? Because uh, especially the last part uh, usually is difficult for uh, yeah because uh, well, that's love, where the hurt yeah comes. exactly because love usually you mentioned the uh, peak experiences but it's also an intense attachment and as human beings we really grasp very you know tightly on what we get attached to so we it is very hard to let go mm-hmm. of our attachment so.
0: But, but yeah, I mean, I I, <coughs> I, I talk about um, uh, uh, with often with couples, but not exclusively. Um, in that, in order to love, there's all, uh, when we love, there's going to be a risk of hurt, necessarily, mm-hmm. fundamentally. And if there isn't a risk of hurt, then it's not love, any of any
1: form. Okay, <laughs> so your criteria is if we are hurt, if been we loved. Basically, <laughs> like. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I
0: don't know if it works in reverse. I've never thought about that, but, but yeah, to some extent, if we have been hurt, we've maybe we've experienced love and lost it, or maybe we've maybe we're hurt by not having experienced it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, or if we if we um, got uh, hurt, that means that we were close enough, we mm-hmm. had experienced that intimacy and that yes. uh, vulnerability that comes with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you've been hurt, at at least we know you have the vol- the, the the capacity for mm-hmm. to for love.
1: I would suggest. Wow, that's great! <laughs> I'm conducting a self assessment quickly. I'm like, wow, great capacity. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's very helpful for people who sometimes. I mean, some clients are also thinking, "Oh, I'm." I always have bad relationships, meaning I'm hurt over and over and over, and why? And why? What's wrong with me? And maybe it's important to (laughs) perhaps reframe that maybe it's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) Like maybe this is a capacity, and now of course how how to of course maybe you need some more protection or to to better know the person with whom you are vulnerable and all that. But it's not necessarily something wrong.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a a really important thing, right? That that you know there wouldn't be something necessarily wrong with you if you just keep having mm-hmm. having things there. I mean, we mm-hmm. we go back to what you said in initially, kind of describing mm-hmm. that the the idea of um, in 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 EA that the person cannot be sick, right? The this capacity to to experience love, um, you know, even if you're not doing it. Particularly well doesn't mean it's not there, and doesn't mean you can't be, for sure.
1: And uh, what about another, like probably uh, important topic that comes up sometimes with Valentine and other celebrations of love? What about the unrequited love? What about the one-sided love? What about people who fall in love with the unattainable? Uh,
0: Yeah, I mean that's (laughs) 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 that's that's a difficult one. I, I, hmm, yeah, well then that's it, in some ways, in some ways I would suggest that love doesn't have to be reciprocated Mm -hmm. um, in order for it to be love and to be felt as love.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are <laughs> you are like uh, the troubadours, right? Like uh, in uh, in <laughs> the medieval times, right? Like like that. Um, and from that that thing emerged that uh, only the love that is not fulfilled, you know, it co- consummated, so to speak, is true love. That if it's consummated, it's already like not as intense as as pure as that uh, love. So in that sense, the unattainable is a spiritual experience, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe and and that kind of brings me to 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 a kind of a pet topic, a favorite topic of mine, and that I I knew I would talk about, and um, that's about flirting.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, what do we we go from troubadours to flirting, so like that feels like falling from heaven.
0: Uh, <laughs> no, no, this is this 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 will fit. You'll see. Um, no, because if flirting is 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 almost and in, in this conception of it, um, that that I'll elaborate on. Is is about um, is about not maybe unrequited love, but not unconsummated love. It's it's where nothing more happens, right? And there's this wonderful, wonderful article um, from the this um, uh, you can find it on a website called the School of Life, and they talk, it's called Why Flirting Matters, and it has this beautiful way of of a conceiving of um, of flirting, and and uh, I'll, I'll read a bit of it because it says it says. Um, Good flirting is in essence an attempt driven by kindness and imaginative excitement to inspire another person to believe more firmly in their own likability, psychological as much as physical. It is a gift offered not in order to manipulate, but out of the pleasure of perceiving what is most attractive in another. Mm -hmm. Um, Along the way, the good flirt must carefully convince us of three apparently contradictory things, that they would love to sleep with us, that they won't sleep with us, and that the reason why has nothing to do with any deficiency on our
1: part. Wow. that That's also so close is how I understand erotic versus sexual, mm-hmm. right? Like it's the same right. kind of tension, attempt, striving, and yet uh, not consummated yeah. and, not, uh, and nothing to do with uh, judgments, being wrong or not being wrong and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think there's something, yeah, it really matters. <laughs> I I like the title "Why Flirting Matters" because it's it really matters to be able to to do that to to be in that state of tension and attempt and without necessarily possessing it and consummate it.
0: Indeed, and and maybe we we might describe it uh, um as kind of one of the briefest um examples of encountering love, right? Mm -hmm. Where you you touch somebody's essence and Mm -hmm. no more.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, then you don't need to grasp it. (laughs) not that that's possible really (laughs) but just saying that (laughs) we don't um, we don't attach we don't want to attach so firmly and to keep it because usually when we are in love we want to be all the time with the person and when they leave we suffer and all that you know that will happen too on Valentine's Day I'm sure for some people but it's yeah there is some freedom in there and some playfulness and some vitality and creativity in flirting and Mm -hmm. erotic Dance. Okay, so I guess what we are saying on Valentine's Day we encourage everyone to completely give themselves to any experience that they have. Don't hold back. If you fall in love, just fall fully. Do not hold back, or just to play at the at the edges with erotic, erotic and uh, flirting. <laughs> and remember that. Everything matters, like, and it's it's an opportunity to know ourselves better, uh, encounter the other, know the other, know ourselves through the other, and um, that hurt is uh, the capa. It's a capacity. It shows Mm -hmm. a capacity, a human capacity, to be intimate and close.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd even I'd even suggest you know, ask yourself if if you're prepared to take the risk. Mm
1: -hmm. Oh yeah. But what if somebody doesn't have a valentine? What if I'm lonely and I'm longing for someone, but there is no one? Is, uh, is love still a thing for these people?
0: Chelsea, you can take that one.
2: <laughs> I feel like he just opened a whole can of worms. Um, yes, of course. I think love is still... Still a thing like love. Um, I think it would it just be romantic, would be very narrowly experienced. Um, just like how we kind of opened this topic with Zav describing so many different kinds of love. Um, I think that in its various forms, it can be fulfilling, and so at least in my experience, um, it would be. Too cheap a description of love to have it be just, um, just a romantic love or or just a love involving the other. I mean, self love um, is very very fulfilling too, and um, in my experience, it's you know equal to if not more fulfilling um, to experience like the, this a true loving towards oneself and relating towards oneself and um yeah I don't, I don't know if that answers the question but um no I don't think that you know you're just on your own or anything like that if there's no romantic partner there um I think it can certainly feel that way or it can exacerbate loss or maybe avoid a but um and I think that goes with kind of when we've talked about loneliness too, like there's um, an accompanying of oneself that is also experienced. And I think that's important. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, th- I think, Chelsea, I think you you bring up a very, very important point and, um, you And know, the, the idea of self-love is, um, I think it was, comes from the eighties or something that this book called the artist's way. Um, it's a bit of a, I'm not sure how you would describe it, but uh, it's a self um uh what is self developmental. Journal, uh, journal, yeah. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and, and one of the things that, that, that the author encourages in there is um is dates with yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Where you set aside a day, a time to go and do the thing that you do. Right. And and that could be anything, but perhaps that's maybe a recommendation for people and say on Valentine's Day feeling lonely, having an unrequited love, something to, if, if there isn't that other to, to turn towards then to turn towards yourself and maybe make it a date for you. Um, and that could be whatever you like.
2: Yeah. Like, I, like, um, I actually, I do that often it's been kind of a theme in, in my life the last couple of years. Like I usually plan, for example, a birthday party for myself. This is on my mind because my birthday is actually next week. Um But, or no, the week after, I don't know when my birthday is, but it's coming. Um And usually I plan a party for myself. Um, but in the last, last year I was, like no, I just I want to spend the day with myself, and I canceled my birthday party, um, and I just yeah hung out with myself for the day, and it was awesome. I loved it,
1: mm-hmm. truly. <laughs> and. That's a great idea, Chelsea. Like, what I was about to ask, but I think that's really crossing that bubble that Sal kind of said at the beginning and should be there. So, but I'm curious, what are you doing on your date? Like, how can you tell us what you do? What? Just kidding. What I (laughs) did? I I love uh,
2: I love solitude. I love reflection and nature. So it could be something like you know, I think I went for a very long walk that day outside and um and it was perfect it was exactly
1: what i wanted Mm -hmm. and 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 also i'm thinking dating ourselves could be like there are good dates and not so good dates or good dates that, that don't they are not always like ecstatic and you know, intensely pleasurable. So even in the <laughs> in the if some um, some listeners feel lonely and there there is no Valentine available, there is unrequited love. Even turning towards our longing and our suffering, uh, because of that, it's still a date is myself in a way. It's still like uh, encountering myself and acknowledging that. Mm. I want this, I I long for this, I long for more, I long for relationship, for partnership, for being known, the way you spoke about your client, Chelsea, for being seen, I think that's still profound that uh, people can feel that longing. So maybe it's not fulfilled, but it's still valuable.
0: You mean we can be sad on our date with ourselves?
1: Oh, yes. 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 And nostalgic, and maybe even heartbroken, and longing... And all that. So, in other words, what we kind of say is like uh, to move beyond um, the cultural stereotypes or like uh, the commercial kind of Valentine, you know, celebration, and realize that there are possibilities. And even in our longing on hurt or unrequited love, there is something valuable. There mm-hmm. is uh, the possibility of uh, discovering something about ourselves. And Recognizing, wow, my my heart is, uh, <laughs> you know, thirsty for for something more, for something that is not just me, and you know, for my own serving myself. But there is a uh, yeah a desire there that could be carnal or could be spiritual, or but there is uh, that um, movement towards uh, something that is beyond myself, and I think to me that's profound for being a human being.
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree with with the two of you more. It's, it's, I think, and and I was thinking about myself in those kind of situations, and for for me, the you know, my my longing or my um, hurt or my my loneliness will often merge with nostalgia, and kind of I always almost in, enjoy that kind of nostalgia because it's it's a it's a nicer form of of sadness, if you like, right? It's a warmer form of sadness, um, at least it is for me. Um, and and I'm glad we we touched on this as well, right? Because we otherwise we'd have been overlooking a, probably a, lot, a significant amount of people. Um, and so kind of, uh, I think what we've seen in, in throughout this episode that we could really have gone off on a hundred different tangents and, and the topic is enormous and probably... You know, evolving and changing all the time. Um. Then, kind of final thoughts, final kind of, uh, um, yeah. Just comments about encountering love and and what what our listeners might, uh, what we might encourage them to, to to try to think about to reflect on.
1: Yeah, for myself, I wanted just briefly to um, say that we talked a lot about interpersonal relationship, but uh, we can also love a pet, for example, or we can uh, love art. In different mm-hmm. forms, or we can love uh, nature in in different, you know, uh, forms. So it's not um, that feeling of uh, longing. Um, being we can we can love our home or lost home, like nostalgia, right? It really has the word home in there, like the Greek mm-hmm. version, right? So it's like there are many many people or many places, or we can fall in love with a place. I had the opportunity recently, right, like to, to really feel my heart <laughs> kind of broken open by a place so that I never expected to to happen to me. And it was quite confusing because, of course, I also think that love is more reserved for interpersonal <laughs> relationships. But so we, we could, as long as our li- uh, heart is open and sometimes broken open, not just <laughs> slowly opening right and and we we feel that longing, that attraction, that desire to follow that desire and to even if it's not fulfilled, even if we don't get what we want the way we think we need or we want, I think that's still very precious that we have that capacity within ourselves,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah, thank you so much for
2: sharing that. um I think like you said, it's important to acknowledge that. Like love, the the object of love can take many forms, whether that's interpersonally or towards oneself or um, a place. Like you said, um, there's many many avenues to to follow our desire and and see what we're drawn close to. And and maybe on that note, um, this is a good time to to end with our existential question. And so, listeners, we give you this question here. How do you know when you have encountered love? Thank you for listening along with us today. And um, take a moment, if you can, to follow us on social media, the Existentialist podcast, or on our website. Um, and we look forward to hearing your responses. Thank you.
0: Follow us on Instagram at existentialistpodcast and let us know your answer to today's existential question. To learn more about us, listen to and learn about other episodes, visit our website at existentialistpodcast.com.